This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are James, Robbie and Ian. Two games to go over and unfortunately two defeats, which is rare for us this season. And two times we've gone in front and fallen behind. So we'll be talking about the reasons for our sudden inability to hold on to a lead. And also later on in the podcast we'll be talking about transfers since we've got a couple of weeks off now. Um, without a game until the Sunderland game. So we'll start off by talking about the Palace game since that was the most recent one. Burnley went 2-0 very quickly at Turf Moor, but it all went a bit wrong again as it had done against Spurs. Early goals from Ben Mee and Danny Ings were cancelled out by Dwight Gale and Jason Punchin before Gale scored a winner right at the end that meant Palace ended up in 12th place in the league. That just shows how much of a difference these matches can make. Um, James, we'll start with you then. What what did you make of the game? It was a a funny up-and-down, topsy-turvy type match. It was awful. (laughs) <laughs> moving on <laughs> um, I, I, had to go, I had to go for a nap after I was just very very angry yeah that felt pretty down that's possibly the worst I've felt after a match this season I think it's, it was the manner of the, the defeat I think the fact that we'd started so well and got in front and then by the end just seemed to be offering absolutely nothing well and it was the way it happened as well the fact that even later on, we were still at least going to get a point, and then, then we we just ah, oh, we we got nothing out of it, and we, we we were so good for the first twenty minutes as well, and then um, we were shocking. And there's just really no better way to describe it than we went from being pretty good to being absolutely diabolical. It was a strange one, really, because although we went two 0 up, and at the time I thought we were playing really well, but then I thought back. And I'm not sure we were playing that well. Both goals were controversial in a way. Palace were complaining about the first one being taken outside of the quadrant, the corner. The second one, you could argue it was out of play, although I think it's been shown that it wasn't. But it might have been a foul on Joe Ward. So we were perhaps a little bit lucky to get into that situation. But after we did get in front of Ian, it's it's annoying, isn't it, really, to, to give that lead away? 
Yeah, annoying's an understatement in there, really, I think. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it's easy to think, to talk about kind of being uh, depressed in the way, you know, after that game and you know, probably as much as we have been this season. I, I completely get that, but, you know, you think back to some of the earlier games and, you know, you couldn't see uh, a way that we were going to collect points. I remember, you know, seeing comments on some of the message boards just saying, you know, we could even be on for the, the lowest points um, total in the, in the Premiership in, after those first few games. So I think we're in a different place now. Um, I understand the, the sense of dejection and it's really kind of disappointing to to go up. You know, I was I was watching it on the stream and, you know, I was kind of jumping around the lounge at, at 2-0. I, I didn't think we, 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 play, we were playing that well. Um, but the way that Palace seemed to pick up and really look just more dynamic, more energetic, um, just really more up for it. And that's, that, I hesitate to use that phrase when you're talking about Burnley, but they did seem to be better than us all over the pitch. And that really did disappoint me, I have to say. I thought we started the game quite well. From the first whistle, I thought Palace were better than us. Um, and after we, after we even raced into a two-goal lead, it was pretty obvious what was going to happen. Um MacArthur and uh, George Ledley were dominating the midfield. They were getting it quickly forward towards Gale and Punching and Wilfred Zaha were causing all sorts of problems towards Ben Mee. Uh, Scott Arfield wasn't doing his his usual tracking back. He's usually pretty good at that, but recently he's been quite poor. And how he completed a 90 minutes, Scott Arfield, I really don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, the way they moved Zaha over, uh, they clicked pretty quickly picked up, I think, um, that, that Trippier wasn't going to give him an inch and, you know, gave him a, a switch against uh, against me and that really gave us problems. I mean, they kind of flooded us in midfield and that uh, that worries me because I think, um, you know, teams seeing that can, can really make us struggle going forward. I, I think we are absolutely swamped and maybe outthought uh, in that way. I wanted to come on to that next, actually. It, it wasn't just Zaha moving wings that, that Pardew changed though was it he actually went to to a, a sort of four five one from the four four two they'd started with Gale went to the left wing and Punchin had sort of a, a free role and that, that, for me that played a, a really key role I was arguing with someone on Twitter which is a daily thing really but he was saying that the goals were as a result of individual errors and while they were to an extent I think they would, still wouldn't have happened if Pardew hadn't done that so I feel like the tactical changes sort of enabled those goals to come, and although we didn't really defend particularly well for any of them, I feel like the the changes Pardew had made were were really key. I'd, I don't know what the rest of you think about that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you know it, that does give me a concern now about um, you know whether we are a kind of a you know plan A team, and and you know where do we go from there. Um, we didn't seem to to make a, a switch. Uh, we didn't seem to make any subs. Not that I could see really who we could bring on to really change it that much. Um, but you know, it did worry me. We just stayed pretty much in the formation we were with the players that we had. And you know, I think everybody watching could see that we were being um, out fought across midfield and you know, kind of crowded out. We just couldn't get any possession at all in there. So that's a big worry for me. I, I thought we. Uh really lacked some width, to be honest. Um, after Palace had equalised, we started to come back into the game. We were getting quite a lot of um, free kicks, which really needed to be whipped in. 
and most of the deliveries I thought were really poor. Um, and then Ross Wallace is on the bench. You're thinking, you know, just a, a left-footed in swinger towards that far post, and you never know we could have got the three points. And again, Sean Dyche, he, I thought it was a bit insulting that he brought the subs on after uh, Palace made it three-two because it was too late after that. We've talked about Sean Dyche's substitutions quite a lot, but the the word I used in in my column after the game was that those changes invited derision, and I. I don't think it's any surprise to see this this argument about Twitter, not argument about Twitter, argument about substitutes. Got Twitter on the brain for some reason. <laughs> Arguments about substitutions are always going to come up when a manager makes a double change and one of them's including Marvin Sordell, who played in midfield, by the way. He didn't even come on and go up front. He came on and played in the middle of the park, which is perverse. So I think it's only natural that that comes up again. But on the flip side... It's it's probably indicative of the options that we've got available. Robbie talked about Wallace and maybe his free kicks would have been useful. But apart from that, Sam Volts comes on for Ashley Barnes. We don't have an awful lot to, to change things, do we, James? Um, no, not really. There's there's not a huge number of options. But at the same time, the, the Sodell change was just, well, pretty much pointless. It was so late in the game that it's really just impossible to understand how it was it was going to change anything. It's it's desperation, isn't it? When it comes to that late, it wasn't even immediately after Gale had scored, it was a couple of minutes afterwards to get them ready, so it's it's the last throw of the dice type thing and yeah, it, something might have happened, but I think it'd have been more luck than anything else. I I wonder if Dice had settled for two all by that point. I know Michael Keane had had a chance, a really good volley that was cleared off the line by James MacArthur, but Glenn Murray had hit the post and it seemed like a goal was coming, but we didn't really seem like the, the team that was most likely to get it. What do you lot think? Do you think we were trying to see out a draw by that point? I was saying this to my dad. Um, I said it, it, it came to the point where it was like, well, if you're not going to win it, just make sure you don't lose it. And then the second after that came out of my mouth, Dwight Gale put it into the bottom corner. So, so it's your fault of, then? It's my fault, yeah. <laughs> That makes change. It's normally my fault for something I've put on Twitter. So I'm, I'm glad Robbie's publicly taken responsibility for that one. Yeah, there, there were people live tweeting the the table when we were twelfth at two 0 up, and that probably contributed to our downfall. Um, we'll come on to the Spurs game a little bit later, but giving away two goal lead twice in a few days, it's it's more than just an accident, isn't it? It seems careless, perhaps. It was interesting, actually. I was, I think it was in the Times on on Monday morning. There was a report about the the Palace game, and um, I think the the final closing comment from it was, you know, from such results are relegation battles decided. And you know, that's early in the early in the day to be talking about that. But you can see where the the writer was coming from because I think, you know, it is so dispiriting in front of a you know reasonable crowd at home and uh, to go two 0 up and and to lose in that way. I, I actually think the a bit of a break now might have come at a good time. Uh, you know, they can kind of go back, rebuild a bit of confidence and morale. Um, you know, on the training pitch and uh, and and go again, uh, ready for the next game. So it's uh, it it is worrying to to lose it. Yeah, twice as you say in, in less than a week to lose a two 0 lead is uh, is very concerning. I think the break can work in in both ways, really, can't it? You can always argue either way, but. 
maybe they would rather play again soon and try and get it out of the system. But I did feel like a lot of the players were, were running on empty by the end of the Palace game. Scarfield in particular, he showed terrific energy for, for his assist. And all credit to him for that. But the rest of the time, I thought he was very, very poor. As bad as I've ever seen him play, I think. He seemed off the pace. He struggled to connect with passes. It wasn't just Arfield, though. David Jones, I raved about him last week because I thought he was outstanding against QPR. He was dreadful in the Palace game. Dean Marnie, I don't know if he picked up a knock, but he didn't really seem at the races either. Even George Boydou, we talk about his energy every week. He didn't seem quite at it, so maybe this break will just help to get the energy levels back up a bit. And then, of course, Sunderland away after... After this little break, maybe that'll make the difference. It was interesting, I think it was a couple of games away ago, Sean Dyche was asked about um, some warm weather training. A lot of teams take this as an opportunity to go abroad. I think Newcastle are one of the teams going away, Chelsea are going away. And Dyche said it was more likely that we'd be going to Scarborough or something. Now, I'm sure that they'll find some money from somewhere to take the players away and have a bit of rest and recuperation because this is a, a really good opportunity to do so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, get down to Portugal or Spain or somewhere and um, just get him away. What is it? Eight? Was it eight games? Something like that that he fielded the same first eleven. Eight in a row. Yeah, over Christmas as well, where you play twice a week. I mean, that's incredible. It's got to have an impact sooner or later, hasn't it? And I think it's you know they've done well to hold it off as long as they have, frankly. So uh, yeah, hopefully you know get the feet up and get it get the tiredness out of the legs a bit and uh, just be ready to go again at Sunderland, which is yet another huge game for us. It's a, a series of big games at the moment, isn't it? Of course, West Brom at home, the next one after that, as said multiple times, I think this is a really a really make-or-break period. Um, just coming back to the Palace game before we do move on to talk about some other stuff for the rest of the podcast, um, I just wondered if if we're becoming a little bit predictable in our approach. The the four four two it has worked a lot sometimes, and... Dyche not making changes has been okay at City, where we managed to come back into it despite not really changing anything. And at Newcastle, where we weren't able to make any changes because we used them all on injuries. But did Pardew's tactical shift highlight how inflexible Dyche can be? Or is that just the way Dyche is? Is it fair to criticise him for something that can also be a strength? I think one of the things I'd say to that is I don't know what Dash's options are, and you know I know we're going to talk about transfers later on in the in the podcast, but you know I don't really see anybody sitting on the on the bench who's going to come on and, and really make a big difference. I mean, you know Ross Wallace has, has done the odd good thing, but he's clearly not in Dash's uh, good books at the moment in terms of you know getting any start time or anything. So. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about Palace, you know, who else do we bring into midfield to, to try and match them up? And I'm just not sure what that looks like. I don't think we've got the players who are impact players at the moment. So, um, you know, hopefully we can we can pick somebody up in the window that's going to be able to make a difference for us there. Yeah, um, I agree. It's um, I think that just going back on towards the Dwight Gale winner, um, you, look, you see Trippier, who's been blocked off by um, Glenn Murray, I think it is. And there's no there's no support for uh, Trippier, and you're looking for Scott Arfield. He's in the middle of the pitch, and we're, we were so narrow. And like I said before, I thought we lacked so much width, which we needed. You know, Cartley's sitting there on the bench, and Cartley or Wallace must be wondering what they have to do to get into the side. So Cartley came in against Newcastle. I thought you were excellent. 
I thought you were excellent away at Stoke. You know, he grabbed a couple, a couple of assists in those games. I think just change it around a little bit, bring Michael Cartley in or something, a bit more energy, a few more legs, anything. I'd agree with that, but the you know the thing is, I don't know that that makes a difference because you know, in a way, you're kind of doing like for like, and that leaves us just where we were. Um, you know, unless you kind of shift our fields kind of closer into the middle and kind of go five across midfield or something. So that's really my point is, I'm not sure that we've got that much quality on the bench that really makes a difference for us. I think that's true. Um, there was a comment Adam made a tweet after the game and one of the replies was that Sean Dyche's loyalty and belief in his players is one of his greatest assets but sometimes it is also a weakness and I think that's a really good point I think there are multiple benefits to playing the same team every week but on the flip side you're asking a lot for them to hit those levels all the time and also when you do have to resort to somebody else it means that they've barely played Robbie's mentioned Kitely who I think he's done okay in the chances he's had but the next time he plays he's not going to touch the ball for like three weeks or something so it must be difficult to come into that situation what I don't understand why we didn't do uh, I'll take Ian's point about the lack of options but when Pardew's gone to four-five-one, and when Zaha's switched wings and he's causing all sorts of problems for Ben Mee why didn't George Boyd switch wings to help him out because Scott Arfield just wasn't doing his job properly and Boyd for me is a much better defender so that for starters would have been an obvious change, and I think Dash did it after half-time, suggesting that he realised that he'd made a mistake there. And also, a really simple thing that we have done in games that we've won this season after taking the lead, just drop Danny Ings down the pitch a bit, 10-20 yards, ask him to sit in, have a bit more control, it'll still be a threat on the break, but get behind the ball instead of in front of it, to allow us to have a little bit more control because as we've mentioned earlier on in the podcast I think Palace just got control of that midfield when they went to an extra man in there and we didn't really get the the midfield back for the rest of the game that was the frustration for me as soon as it got away from us it didn't really ever feel like we were going to get back into the game and I think that's been a problem in multiple matches really this season when when a game is getting away from us I don't know if we can get back into it if we've been ahead at the start. Um, just one final, final, final point on the Palace game then before we do move on. Um, the goals that they scored, is it a case of individual mistakes as we've touched on briefly or is it more that the Palace have just opened up? I know Robbie's mentioned that Scarfield wasn't tracking um, Gale for the winner but I think Michael Keane should probably be looking after Glenn Murray rather than Trippier. Um, what do you lot think about that? Tom Heaton maybe for the second goal, not particularly great. He's beaten from a long way out. I think the first goal, I think um, Trippier and Keane are very slow to to uh, close down Dwight Gale. He he seems to control the ball and then he has time to pick his spot. You know, and Trippier and Keane are within five yards of him. You know, just closing him down, but it was too late. I think George Boyd were nearest to actually preventing the ball going in the net, and he were furthest away from both of them. Okay, so with us now we've got Palace fan Alex who was at Turf Moor on Saturday. You must be absolutely delighted with your team's performance. It was in the end. I think we uh, we started reasonably slowly. Uh, I, I still felt comfortable and and confident though, even even sort of at two 0 down that there's a new sort of exuberance about us. And I just I sort of always knew if we could get that goal back reasonably quickly, um, we we stood a good chance in the game. It was a strange one really because we weren't two 0 up really early, but. 
even then we didn't seem particularly in control of the game and there were two quite poor goals to give away I suppose from your point of view yeah I think um, I think you know I was going to say that uh, both goals scream out scream out referees decisions I think the, the first one wasn't in the D but that you know that's not that's no excuse for conceding from a corner the keepers keepers made a mistake there which is rare from Julian Sproni but the second one as well um, Woody looks to be fouled and the ball looks out of play but you know, we we kicked ourselves in the teeth there. You think these are the goals where you look back and think they're so avoidable. Um, if you go down because you've lost lost two 0 at Burnley and conceded two goals like that, you, you'd kick yourself. Well, kicking ourselves is exactly what we're doing now. We should have probably won at Sellers as well, so you could say we maybe five points down on what we should be against Palace. Um, Alan Pardew made quite a big tactical shift in the at two 0 when he switched to four five one from four four two. Did you feel like that had a major impact on the result? Yeah, it had a massive impact. I think the thing is, for us, we've changed so much so quickly um, in, in the last few weeks. We've gone from being a, a very defensive, organised, disciplined side to now a side that likes to likes to be on well, that, that aspires to like to be on the ball and, and, and comfortable in, in possession. And, and, I, and we weren't we weren't at first, and and we looked nervous. And, and the change of formation to go with the four four two wasn't working for us. Um, but to change it to get back to basics, what we're good at, sitting off, holding up, you know, holding up the ball when we get it, hitting on the counter. So I think it was um, it was a good decision sort of to get back to what we do best. Um, whether we play like that long term, I, I don't think necessarily we will. But it was um, it was a great decision by by Pardew. Yeah. The winning goal, of course, came from Dwight Gale quite late in the game. At that stage, would you have been quite happy with the draw? Do you think? I felt like Sean Dash had settled for a draw by then. Oh, yeah, as soon as as soon as Punchin had, had scored that to to draw level. Um, oh no, was it? Yeah, no, Punchin drew level, didn't he? And then. Um, I thought, yeah, you know, we'll take that now. And then you went up the other end, and, and Jimmy McCarthy cleared one off the line. I'm thinking, right, let's just blow the whistle now. I think both teams would probably take it. But I, I still always felt there there was a goal in us. I know Murray went close hitting the post, and you did always think there was there was a goal in the game. Um, which way we were starting to dominate, but I think you could also say that you know they're gonna you know they're gonna hit us on the break. They're gonna get us eventually, but we we got it in the end. Um. It was pretty much a perfect um, weekend for Palace in terms of other results, wasn't it? With everyone else losing, you ended up 12th in the league table. It's it's amazing how much of a difference that three points has made. Oh, you know that mini table of uh, of the bottom half in the Premier League. It's always an interesting one. Is to be honest, I said it doesn't really matter where we are. You know, we the, the job's in our hands now. We've got to we've got to win more football matches than the teams in and around us, and and that's the task. We finished 17th. We'll be absolutely chuffed. So. Let's just you know, let's just carry on winning our games. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves because it's a long, long, hard season and and, it, and it's grueling. Couple of couple of bad results and and you're right back in it. It's three straight wins for for Alan Pardew since he came in as the new manager. What have you made of him so far? It was it was a very, very, very good appointment based on the way we were with Neil Warnock and and what type of manager he was. We'd gone from Tony Pulis, who was uh, a strong egotistical man that that had his beliefs um, and had an ego and you walk in the dressing room you don't necessarily like him but you listen to him Warnock is someone who wants to be your best mate he's all about his man management and and being your friend and and, and that's not what we needed at the time because you saw players like Punchian who who had 10 bad games under Neil Warnock because he didn't have that that backbone, that drive, and and Pardew's come in with a, with an ego and said this is how it is and, and this is how you do it. So I think 
in 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 some respect it's sort of getting us back to to the type of manager we had uh, very different footballing managers but again it's uh, it, it's such a good appointment and are you confident that Pardew will keep you up this season though I said it. I said it from the start of the season. I think man for man, we're more than good enough to stay up. I don't think necessarily. I think depth was the biggest problem. But I think man for man, as a starting eleven, we're good. You know, we've we've got good enough players, and we proved that last year to stay in the division. We played above ourselves, yeah, but we're more than good enough to finish seventeenth. I think there's worse sides in this division than us, and and I, I think we'll go from from strength to strength now. Really, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because I think there's going to be times where where it's going to be tough, and we're going to have to to stick together, which which we do very well, but. It's going to be a long, hard season, but I'm I'm extremely confident. Just finally, then, do you think Burnley will be one of those three worst teams? What do you think of of our chances this year? Uh, if I'm honest, um, I can see it sort of petering out. I can see, um, you know, I don't want to sound harsh, but I can see the spirit factor that sort of keeps you in games. Pete, you know, Pete, and I, to be, but you've got goals. You've got goals. That's the thing. You know, if you if you can keep hold of Danny Ings, it's a goal a game, isn't it? If it gives you a goal a game, you stand a very good chance of winning games, and you're good from set pieces, defensively and attacking. You do stand a very good chance of staying up. But I think when it comes to those big games at the end of the season, that perhaps Premier League naivety, the the experience of not having been there as a squad, um, a lot of players there hadn't played in the Premier League. Um, I think that might come back to get you. But I think if you can keep hold of Ings, sign a couple of players this window. I don't know what the, the budget's like for Sean Dyche. I know from the outside it, it seems small, but I don't know if there is one there to bring in players. He's done very well in the summer to bring in who he brought in. But I think come the end of the season, those crunch games is could be the difference between Burnley. I think the last sort of five games, you need to be safe by then. We've got Villa away on the last day, so there's a, there's a fair chance it'll probably come down. That's that, I think. Well, thank- That'd be absolutely huge. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Alex, and best luck for the rest of the season. No worries. Thank you, guys. So that was Palace fan Alex talking about the 3-2 um, win at Turf Moor on Saturday. We'll move on now to the, the other game since our last podcast, another defeat at Spurs in the FA Cup, where Burnley played a bit of a mismatched team, five or six changes, I think, but again, we took the lead 2-0 and then fell apart there after it was 4-2 and probably could have been much worse in the end um, in hindsight I suppose it's a game that we not really bothered about losing, we didn't really want to play an FA Cup game next weekend but after going 2-0 up in about 7 minutes I think again it's disappointing to, to let that slip although Spurs are a good side that can cause a lot of problems They are a good side and, and they do have class all across the pitch and you know certainly more class than we do and I don't mean to be disparaging to the to the team with that but you know they have the ability between them and uh, you know international players right across the the squad um, who can you know do something special and and I think they just showed on on the night to be honest um, I don't think um, you know we we obviously we looked you know in good shape at 2-0 up but uh you know, as soon as they got back into the game, it, you kind of felt like it was uh, it was a bit one way traffic, to be honest. And um, they turned it on them, and we didn't. So, um, yeah, not not too disappointed that we're out of the cup. The you know the lure of a tie against Leicester doesn't exactly fill me with joy. Um, so, um, not too worried about it really. It it could have been any score by the end. I think Salvador's hit the bar from about two yards out. It was an incredible miss, really. But... In fairness to, to Burnley, we did make quite a few changes, especially in defence. There was no shackle. Duff was playing his first game for a few weeks. 
and Spurs had put five past Chelsea. Not that long before, so I don't think we can be too critical about this. I did feel like Duff struggled a little bit, and Sam Volk's played 90 minutes, but he seemed a little bit off the pace. But Volk's just needs minutes, doesn't he? We've seen bits and bobs from Sam Volk so far, but the comeback has been a bit slow so far, hasn't it? It's, it's difficult to assess. He's got that one goal from the bench in the first cup game against Spurs, but apart from that, how, how do you lot think he's been doing with his comeback so far? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, again with you, I, I, he's kind of been a little bit in and out, um, you know, and our dash kind of brought him back, then gave him a bit of a rest, uh, and then is bringing him back again. So um, yeah, I mean, we're probably probably doing it the right way. I mean, you know, much as we'd love to see him flying um, like he was last season, I think it's it's going to take weeks yet, I suspect, and, and before that really happens. And uh, you know, hopefully, a kind of longer term, slower reintegration into the team is uh, can only be good for him and get his fitness right back up. Yeah, I think he's you know he's been reasonably good. Um, it, it's always going to be tough coming back from such a serious injury, and at the time, same time, having to make a step up to a different level of the game. But I think from what we've seen so far, which you know isn't a lot, he's you know he's, he's been satisfactory. So. Um, it, it might have been nice to see him actually getting a little bit earlier on, on Saturday, uh, but I think that's a general request when it comes to Sean Darcher's substitutes. Yeah, I agree with James. I, I felt like Sandbox should have come on, come on against Palace a little bit sooner. Uh, I thought Ashley Barnes has been a little bit quieter than usual recently, and I maybe think the box could, could have come in a little bit sooner if, and maybe if he's up to the standards, maybe start him. If that's not been a little bit too ambitious, yeah, it's it's Adams just mentioned actually that folks was getting ready to come on after it wasn't long after an hour, it was sixty three minutes or something. But then he sat back down and put his top back on, and then it was ten minutes until we saw him. So Dash was obviously thinking about bringing him on, but then changed his mind. So that, that was a bit of a funny one. I, I I'm with you and James. I think if we're going to make attacking subs, you need to do it earlier in the game because you. For me, you're just not really giving him an opportunity. Certainly not if you're putting him on in injury time. But someone like Sam Volks, who's been out for so long and he's still feeling his way back in, I think you've got to give him longer than than 20 minutes to get a real impact, especially when, as Robbie says, Barnes wasn't really his best. Barnes, actually, he took a a really heavy challenge in the first minute of the game and I I wonder how much of an impact that had on him because his service wasn't good, but... he didn't look like he was going to do anything on Saturday, but you can say that about quite a few of our players. Um, moving on from Spurs then, because probably not that much to say about a cup game that none of us are that bothered about losing, so we'll leave that one behind. Um, the next topic on the agenda for tonight is transfers. Um, it's a couple of weeks off without a game now, so surely a good opportunity to get some negotiations done. Should be a bit of money to spend, hopefully even if we do go with some um, warm weather training or something, Dash will still be able to get some deals done. I'm sure we're all hopeful that there could be one or two new faces for the game at Sunderland, where, of course, they'll be playing uh, their new signing, Jermaine Defoe, who they've spent an awful lot of money on, but it just shows what, what teams at the bottom are, are willing to do. Um, so I've asked our panellists this evening to come up with one uh, fairly realistic potential target um, for someone who could come in and improve the side, ideally. Uh, so we'll start with you, Robbie. Who's the player you've come up with? 
Um, well, I've been reading in the papers that Graham Dorans at West Brom has been linked with us. Uh, apparently, West Brom are eager to make some money because he wants to bring in Darren Fletcher from Man United. So I feel as if he won't be on the highest wages at West Brom, so I don't see why he wouldn't be a unrealistic target. Yeah, I think Dorans is an interesting one, isn't he? I'm not sure if he'd fit into the team as it stands because... I don't know if he'd play as, a set, as one of the central two or would you play him out wide, but he's certainly the right quality for me. I think as competition for, for all the midfield lads, I think he's certainly the, the right standard. I think he's a really interesting one. And if West Brom are willing to let him go because they're looking at other players that they want to bring in and we could do it at a reasonable fee, that would be quite an interesting one. However, we did have quite a lot of problems trying to negotiate with West Brom in the summer about um, Greg Dawson, didn't we? So it would be quite interesting to see if we go back in with an offer there if they just tell us tell us to get lost. Um, James, you next then. Have you got a player for us to talk about? It's, it's really difficult, I think, to, to pick people because we're in such a, a strange position where we're really not going to want to spend a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, obviously, we're going to want to bring someone in. And I think with what we've already done, um, obviously with Chalabar, I think there'd be some teams that are maybe looking at us thinking we're not the best place to send their young midfielders on loan um, since we don't really want to play them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a few rumours out there about people who are interested. And I know I've seen uh, Sean Maloney's name go around a bit. And that's probably someone who's you know in our price range, but I'm not entirely sure whether he'd really be an addition to the side. And, you know, he's 32 as well, which is kind of not really the age I think Burnley want to sign people at. Leicester, Leicester had a, a fee agreed, didn't they, for Maloney, but personal terms broke it down, which is a strange one. You'd think moving from the bottom end of the Championship to a Premier League club would have been quite easy to get done, but it seemed to fall through at some point. I think Maloney would be an interesting one, and, and I hope Ian wasn't going to say him, but Callum McManaman at the same club, although apparently West Brom have turned down £4 million. They've had four million turned down for Wigan, so maybe that immediately puts him out of our price range. Um, what about you, then, Ian? Have you got a name for us? It, it's interesting because I think we we probably need you know two or three people across. I, I think you know I'm assuming that Ward's going to be back and fit at some stage, and we'll be able to replace me. Um, and I think we need some some pace in the team desperately. And you know I've seen people like Joel Campbell kind of mentioned as potential options there, but. I still think, and I've felt for a long time actually, I think I probably talked about this before the season started on the podcast, that we need some dynamism in, in central midfield and you know, somebody who's who's a real playmaker. And you know, I've seen Johnny Howson mentioned at, at Norwich. I don't know if he's kind of still available, whether he's available at all. Um, but I think given where, where they are um, and given his age, given his, you know, his track record, I think he's a, he's a Looks a good lad, and I think he's uh, definitely the kind of player that we could we could bring in and really put some some competition in there. Uh, somebody to sit behind, uh, you know, Ings maybe in that kind of uh, five man midfield that we've been uh, talking about this uh, on this podcast. So I think he'd be good. Um, as I say, some pace up front, um, and and maybe just some some cover, some additional cover in, in defence. But midfield's definitely my priority. I think that's absolutely right. I think without Shalbar, fair enough, he wasn't getting a game, but at least he was an option on the bench if someone got injured. We're basically in a position where 
I think on Saturday, if Marnie has got a knock, which has been rumoured and it seemed um, it seemed like he possibly had something, our only option was to take Marnie off, move Arfield inside and put Kitely on. But Arfield was having a bad game as well, so you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. So I think certainly options in central midfield. I agree with you, Ian. I think as long as Ward's back soon enough, we're fine there. And pace and attack would be my priority as well. Uh, you mentioned Johnny Howson. Josh Neary did a piece, not Josh Neary, sorry, Jordan Neary did a piece on the site recently where he suggested Howson and also Bradley Johnson, who's also at Norwich and has got a, a reasonable record in the Championship and I think he's played in the top five as well. So maybe he's another interesting one. Um, Robbie, you had a couple more, did you? Uh, yeah, um, Aaron Gunnarsson at um, Cardiff. I think he'd, he'd be one who would, uh, I would like. And he can got quite a good long throw on him as well. I think he's more of a holding player. I think he's someone who we need. Um, I think in the summer, I think I remember we were linked with Matt Phillips. He's not getting much game time at QPR, but again, I, I can't, I can't imagine QPR selling to a, a relegation rival, if you will. Yeah, I think there's multiple problems with doing these transfers, isn't there? I mean. They've obviously got to be within budget. They've got to be players who are willing to come. They've got to be players who teams are willing to sell to us. It's it's uh, much harder to get these transfers done than us just saying on the podcast, oh, so-and-so, they're good, let's get them. And we're all aware of that. But we also have time to fill on the podcast and just two weeks with no game. So I think we should talk about the transfers. Um, someone I think we should be interested in, actually, is Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth. I don't know how much... Uh, any of you have seen about him, but he's really impressed me a couple of times. I've seen them on telly. He's a young winger. I think he's only 21 next month. Um, but he seems to be quick. He's quick carrying the ball as well. He seems to use it quite well. He's dangerous. He seems to have two good feet. I think he'd be an interesting one. But again, well, will we be able to get someone to leave Bournemouth who are probably going to get promoted? It's going to be difficult, isn't it? But... It is, and they've, they've got a bit of cash, haven't they? Probably... Uh... They seem to have as much cash to spend as we do for some strange reason. Well, they've got they've got quite a rich backer, haven't they? So even though they're, they're a much smaller club, I think they probably can compete financially. There were Bournemouth fans in the summer suggesting that they were going to buy Danny Ings, and we're all just like, nah, nah, you're not. <laughs> but, well done for thinking of it. Uh, the player I want to talk about actually has been mentioned, and I might get laughed off the podcast for this for forever, but I wanted to bring up Darren Fletcher, who West Brom have been been linked with. And for me, if a club like West Brom is interested in him, then we should be as well. Now, wages would be the obvious question to ask. Fletcher has played a lot of years for Manchester United, so he should have quite a bit of money. He might be willing to take a big pay cut to come and play for us. I imagine wherever he goes, he's going to have to take a big pay cut. He might be within reach. He's still only 30, which surprised me. I thought he was a bit older than that. He's got vast experience, played in Champions League finals. I think he's still Scotland's captain. He's played a lot of internationals. All his illness problems seem to be behind him. But it it seems like Manchester United are willing to let him go. He doesn't seem to fit in with Louis van Gaal's plan. So it does look like he's going to go. I think he's had contracts up at the end of the season as well. So the fee wouldn't be particularly big. So I, th- I think that's a potential player who could come in and financially it might be a stretch but I think we've got to look at that sort of standard of player I think if we could get Fletcher that would be certainly competition for Jones and Marnie I think it would be a case of which one of those two dropped out to make room for him I think he's that good 
I think it'd be great news. Yeah, get somebody with that kind of experience. And, you know, I know he's kind of uh, been making his way back into the game after everything um, over the last uh, last season or two. But I think he'd be tremendous to bring in. Um, yeah, as you say, affordability is always the issue, isn't it? But uh, maybe for for the rest of the season, even, I think would be uh, would be superb. I'll put it this way, I'll, I'll be very interested to see what happens with Fletcher because whoever signs him, I think they're going to get a model pro, someone who's certainly still capable of influencing Premier League games and I think if he goes to one of our relegation rivals, I think that would be a big boost to them and and also be damaging to us in the same way. Um, so we have got a couple of weeks off now before the next game, which means there won't be a podcast next week, but we can look ahead to the Sunderland game which will be before our next podcast um, Sunderland have been in really quite bad form recently but from the highlights I saw of their game at Spurs although they should have won 3-1 with, with Jan Vertonghen's ludicrously offside goal at the end they seem to play quite well they created more than they have been of late it's going to be another another really really big game we keep talking about six pointers that certainly comes into that category James, it's it's going to be huge, isn't it? To see if we can bounce back from these two disappointments from going ahead. If we go two 0 up, I think I'm going to leave early and <laughs> just go straight to the pub. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a worrying one. Um, <clears throat> I really, I really hope we don't mess up again because um, I'm going to be in America, so it'll be 10 a.m. and I don't really want to be in a bad mood that early in the day. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will be in a pub. So, I mean, that's. A plus point, I can drink as much as I want, but I don't really want to spend the rest of my day thinking that we're going to get relegated. So it is really, I mean, it's, it's crucial that we bounce back. Um, you know, I know Dash had to play it down about Palace being six pointer, but um, I mean, it really was. You, you look at this spell of games and you think this is where we can really pick something up and, and you know, potentially seal our survival, even though it's early. You look at those type of games and at the end of the season and that's when you can say we won those two games against teams around us on the bounce and um, you know that was that was key to stopping up. The six-pointer thing for me, I think it's completely evident from the league table, isn't it? I mean, from where Palace are now, obviously that would have been us if we'd won 2-0. We could have been 12th in the league. Um, this is before Everton play, play West Brom on Monday night, but we'd have been 12th for a couple of days well, well, well above the relegation zone, not just on points, but psychologically having all those teams below us. And then it's just a case of keeping enough of them between us, whereas I think being 17th, we're sort of on the brink. And I think that's quite a nervous position to be in. What are you expecting from the Sunderland game, Ian? Yeah, I I mean, I think if we'd gone into this a couple of weeks ago, I would have felt reasonably confident about us getting something up there. They, They weren't scoring goals. They look very lacklustre. They look like they're falling apart in a way, and you know, perhaps not surprising given who the manager is that there's always going to be the odd meltdown there. Um, bringing Defoe in, I think, um, you know, it's a bit of a gamble, but I think it does give them a really, yeah, a potentially huge boost if he starts scoring like we all know he can do. So, um, yeah, a bit worried about that now, and um, I think you know, it all depends, as we said earlier on. Which way the the break treats us, whether it's something that we we take and you know with with gratitude and um, you know embrace with both arms and, and get off and and everybody get their heads back together, or whether you know we all just kind of sit for two for a week and a half, two weeks and, and ponder about what might have been. 
Um, huge game, absolutely huge game for for the rest of the season. I think. I think it is going to be a test of character, isn't it? And we, fortunately, we do seem to respond well to to these setbacks. There were numerous times last season when, as soon as it started going a little bit wrong, we bounced back. This season, we we didn't win for ten games, but managed to find the character to come back. At Man City, showed massive balls to come back. Same at Newcastle in an almost impossible situation. So hopefully we'll be able to show that spirit and grit and determination again to do that. Um, if we can come to you, Robbie, then. This Jermaine Defoe transfer, it seems to me like a big gamble, but if he does get the goals that keep him up, I suppose it's, it's justified, isn't it? There's been talk of it being £14 million, but I think that does include his wages, which are rumoured to be £70,000 a week or something ridiculous. Yeah, so it... When I first saw it, I thought that's a bit of a panic. Um, but then I thought, then I saw that Altidore is going the other way, and I thought, yeah, I, I pay £14 million to get him out of our club. So it probably is worth it to get rid of Josie Alcindor. That is true. Yeah, but I, th- I think the the fact that the Fords signed this week or last week for him, I think it's going to be his first home game. We couldn't play him at a worse time. I think he's going to give him a massive boost. But like you said, we've we've. After a poor performance, we have got really good character. We have come back before. Um, I think about when we played West Brom away, we were absolutely dire. And then we, I think we played Leicester the following week, and I was expecting the same again. I thought, and then we come up with an excellent performance and managed to get a point out of it. So hopefully we can um, do that again. It's a particularly big game for me, not that I want to, to hog the limelight, but I went to university up in Sunderland and quite a lot of my friends are Sunderland fans, so there'll be quite a lot of the banter going on next weekend. I don't think I could cope spending the weekend up there surrounded by Mackhams if we if we get beat. So I hope Burnley are going to do it for me, if nothing else, next weekend. That would be really nice. Um, we always round off on the podcast with predictions, so we'll do that as normal then. Um, Ian, if we come to you first, it's two weeks away and hopefully we'll have some of the players that we've just suggested in the team, but can you give us a prediction for some underway? I'm going for uh, for a scoring draw, so I'm going to go for 1-1. What about you, James? I'm going to be, I'm going to be optimistic. Yes. I'm going to win 4-1. 4-1, wow. Have a, have wow. a quid on that. Robbie, you next. Um, we've been conceding a lot of goals lately. Um, oh, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine Dyke just going back to his basics a little bit, and we'll, we'll draw nil nil. That could be true. I'd probably take a nil nil at the stadium, even though it'd be quite awful to watch. We drew nil nil with Sun under the turf, didn't we? So, it could be a tight game. That was about all we've got time for this week. As I mentioned, with the the break for the FA Cup, there won't be a podcast next week unless we come up with something special and exciting to do. It'll be two weeks' time after the Sunland game. We have our next podcast. Thanks as ever to our sponsors at Neville G. We couldn't do the podcast or the website or anything like that without them. Thanks to my guests, Robbie, James and Ian as well. If you do have any feedback about the podcast, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at net. If you want to be a guest on a future podcast, please do get in touch through that address as well, which is podcast at net. And you can also tweet us at net. But that is all we've got time for this week. So thanks for listening and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Good night. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.